Well, I want to start this morning by asking you a couple of questions. You don't need to answer these out loud, but I would like to like for you to... The first one is this. What is something that really excites you? As you think about your life and what you enjoy, what, what is something you get excited about? What is it that moves you to a responsive, verbal, expressive joy? I'm sure there's lots of things coming to your mind. There's no right answer here. This is unique to you. You know, maybe it's a beautiful sunrise or a sunset, some way of being in God's creation. Maybe you enjoy just family activities outdoor, a fast kayak ride or, or kids in roller coaster ride at a theme park. Maybe you enjoy it, or even a sport sporting event that you participate in or you get to observe you know this month is the the world cup uh, soccer cup you know everybody else in the world calls it football in america we call it soccer uh, and i was reading an article and it said that over five billion people will tune in uh, to watch some of those games there's only eight billion people in the world isn't that crazy soccer fanatics um you know, a few weeks ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to Holland, Michigan and attend our grandson's uh, grandparent day at their Christian school. They actually are with us here today. And uh, it was an uh, exciting time for us to go. We joined uh, a few hundred other grandparents. And it was an exciting day where they just uh, make a lot of us grandparents, they explain to us the ministry of the school. They give us opportunities to visit their classroom and see their activities and things they're learning. Uh, the highlight of the day is uh, a performance that all the classes put on where they share songs that they have been practicing and memorizing scripture. They've memorized poems that they recite. And the administration has to, uh, at the start of that that presentation has to come up and make sure because they know we're excited as grandparents and we're each one looking for our grandkids coming in. They have to remind us to please uh, kind of tune down our excitement a little bit that when our kids sneeze or cough, you know, not to be saying, hey, hey, that's my grandson there, to please hold it down and then when everyone is done, then all together you can show your joy and excitement. And indeed, I tell you, that was a wonderful morning for all of us grandparents. Uh, when we were given permission, the place just exploded with delight and joy and appreciation for the investment in the grandchildren that we love and adore so much. You know, I even think about recently in our church here that there have been several new babies born and what the excitement that is for you families and for our church as we see God blessing us in that way. We get excited about birthdays, graduations, weddings, don't we? You know, expressions of joy are a thing to us in our lives, aren't they? I want to ask you another question to think about. Has, has someone ever done something for you or bless, uh, appropriately know how to show gratitude for their act of kindness? 
Maybe you were given a gift at just the right time that you could never repay. You know, students, maybe uh, the teacher gave you a little extra grace on that quiz or that test or gave you an extension of time on, a, on an assignment that you forgot to turn in. I remember early on in our marriage, uh, we had a situation where we had a lot of medical bills with one of our children. And uh, I remember one day getting a medical bill in the mail, and it was several hundred dollars, and we just didn't have it. And I remember calling the company and talking to a customer service representative and saying, hey, I know we owe this. Is, is there some arrangements we could make? Is there something we could do? Explaining our circumstances. And I remember the customer service said, hey, let me put you on hold. I want to talk to my supervisor. A couple of minutes came back and said, you know what, we've talked about it, and we are going to forgive that debt. We're going to cancel that several hundred dollar bill. And Jane and I were just blown away at God's kindness at that time, which would have been a burden on us. And I was thinking about this, and, I, and I'm sure you have some gesture of undeserved kindness in your own mind. And I was thinking about this, and it hit me that the bigger the gesture of undeserved kindness, the more difficult it is to show a comparable level of thankfulness, don't you think? The bigger the gesture, the more difficult it is to show comparable thankfulness. It's, if it's hard to show appreciation to another human being, how much more difficult must it be to show appreciation to God? How should we respond and show appreciation, appreciation to God? We cannot thank God by giving him something, can we? He needs nothing from us. How should we show appreciation to him? Well, I think Psalm 100 gives us some helpful instructions and insight on this. And if you would, please turn there in your scriptures to Psalm 100. There are many, uh, many psalms and scriptures in God's word that exhort us and command us to be thankful, to give thanks, but it's interesting that Psalm 100 is the only one in the Psalter that is explicitly identified as a psalm for giving thanks. And so follow along with me as I read Psalm 100 here. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. So as we look at the word of God here in Psalm 100 this morning, I have a, a main thought that I want to guide our time as we digest this psalm. I'm going to put it on the screen, and I'll repeat it a couple times here. And this is this. When we begin to grasp what God has done for us through Christ, we can't help but respond with joyful worship and thanksgiving. I'll say that again. When we begin to grasp 
what God has done for us through Christ, we can't help but respond with joyful worship and thanksgiving. And you know, friends, I say begin because the truth is, is that we're going to be grasping and relishing for all eternity for what God has done up for us through Christ, aren't we? So today from these five, uh, these short five verses in Psalm 100, I want us to focus on two things. First of all, why we give thanks in worship. And secondly, how do we express thankful worship? In these short five verses, we see seven imperatives or commands in our call to worship in giving thanks. I'm just going to go through these really quick. I'm going to point them out and then we'll come back to them in detail more later. But the, the psalmist commands us to make a joyful noise, to serve the Lord with gladness, to come into his presence with singing, to know that the Lord, he is God, to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, to give thanks to him, and we're commanded to bless his name. Now, when someone asks us to do something, and if the reason is not clear to us, we usually want to know why, don't we? So the first thing I want us to consider from Psalm 100 this morning is why we give thanks in worship. First of all, we enter thankful worship for who he is. Verse 3 says, know that the Lord, he is God. He is the sovereign king of the universe. He is God and we are not. The buck stops with him. There is no higher authority to look to or appeal to. I was thinking about this and uh, God brought the scriptures to mind to me from Daniel chapter 4. And Daniel records uh, the words of King Nebuchadnezzar here who was a mighty, powerful pagan king, and he became arrogant and thought that all that he had accomplished for his kingdom was his doing. God was even merciful to warn King Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel, and he refused to listen. So God humbled him for seven years. His kingdom was taken away, and he was, uh, he, his mind, he lost his mind. It was crazy going wild in creation. But then at the end of those seven years, God restored his sanity and revealed himself of who he truly was. And we have these words that are recorded at the end of Nebuchadnezzar's days. Daniel 4. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Friends, we give thanks to him, to God, as we acknowledge him as the sovereign king of the the universe. But as those who belong to him, we just don't know this amazing truth about him. We must also seek to know him intimately 
and personally. That's important because we cannot rightly think or worship a God who is unknown to us. Luke recorded this, these words of Paul for us from Acts chapter 17 in regard to this. It tells us that, so Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every, every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, did anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Friends, the world is clamoring after their unknown gods, God of materialism, power, success, politics, sports, you name it. But without God, it is all empty and fleeting. Our knowledge of God motivates us to worship Him. And our worship of Him must be intelligent, based on the truth, as He has revealed Himself in His Word. Over the years, Pastor Larry has encouraged us to be a church who are thoughtful and passionate in our worship to engage in thoughtful, passionate worship. Thoughtful, where our minds are engaged with the truth of who God is and what he has done for us in Christ, and passionate in that our hearts are stirred with affection and appropriate response in praise to him. We are worshiping a true and living God. Verse 3 also tells us that He's not only our sovereign God, but he's our creator. It is he who has made us. We are, the cre- we are the creature. He owns us, and he made us to worship him. R.C. Sproul said this. He said, the grand difference between, being, between a human being and a supreme being is precisely this. Apart from God, I cannot exist. Apart from me, God does exist. We live apart from God as if we created ourselves. Our selfish nature is bent on being preoccupied with ourselves rather than God. But the psalmist wants us to be fascinated with God, our creator. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 42, 5. He says, thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. Friends, God made us. God made us, but he made us for a purpose. We give thanks to him, not only for who he is, not only that he created us, but also for what he has done. And verse 3 tells us that. He says, it's he who made us, And we are his. He is our redeemer. He purchased us. Verse 5 gives us more detail in it. When the psalmist expounds on this, he says, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. This word for steadfast love, the Hebrew word hesed, 
often, uh, more often translated loving kindness, the loving kindness of God. Exodus 34 fleshes this out for us a little more. When it says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. Barry Cooper with Ligonier's Ministries put it this way. He says, having entered a covenant relationship with his people, God binds himself to act toward them with hesed, his steadfast love. And he is utterly faithful to his own self-commitment. To put it another way, our hope that God will love us to the uttermost and forever is not founded on our ability to keep his commands, but rather it's founded on God's ability to keep being God. Amen? He not only initiated this loving covenant with us, he's the one who guarantees, uh, who guarantees it for us through Christ. The sovereign God of the universe entered the mess of our humanity to make a way for us to know him personally as our Redeemer. I love the beautiful picture that Christ gives us in John chapter 10. This will be familiar with you. You're reading this story with our grandsons this weekend. In John 10, Christ says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life, lays down his life for the sheep. I know my own, and my own know me. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Friends, this should give us a joy unspeakable that our good shepherd would make a way for us to be in his tender care. Pastor H.B. Charles put it this way. He said, God is good. God is love. God is faithful. God's goodness lived in a human body. God's love died on an old rugged cross. God's faithfulness conquered the power of sin, death, and hell. The Lord Jesus Christ is the walking, talking, breathing incarnation of divine goodness, steadfast love, and faithfulness. Amen. Amen. Friends, that brings us to our second point is, is how we express thankful worship to a loving God like this. Verse 1 tells us that we're to, make a noise, or we're to make a joyful noise to the Lord. I think the NIV captures the original intent here more closely by translating it. It says, shout for joy to the Lord. James Boyce writes this. He said the Hebrew word originally meant a glad shout such as loyal subjects might utter when the king appears among them, the emphasis being on the gladness. Our worship should be loud, it should be joyful, because we are happy in him and we're happy with him. It's exactly what Peter was talking about in 1 Peter 2 when he, where he reminds us that we are a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our joy must be discernible in a way that is difficult to restrain our expression. Our hearts and our emotions should the good news of what Christ has done for us should fill us with a joy that excites us more than anything 
that this world has to offer. It's cause for much praise and no pride. It's a cause for strong emotions of praise. It should motivate us to sing loudly and joyfully that God's wrath has been satisfied, the wrath that we deserve. Charles Spurgeon said of this verse, he says, Our happy God should be worshipped by a happy people. Our cheerful spirit is in keeping with his nature, his acts, and the gratitude which we should cherish for his mercies. Now I'm aware that some of us can be uncomfortable with the strong emotions of the commands in a, in a psalm like this. I'm aware of that. We're not all extroverts, are we? But I would like to encourage us as a body that as we grasp and as we reflect and meditate on what Christ has done for us, that we would become more comfortable in expressing our praise, our joyful praise to him. A few weeks ago, thankful to your generosity as a church family, our leadership team and several of the wives were able to go to uh, Florida to our denomination's uh, pastor's conference. And as we participated in the worship there of hearing what God had done and glorifying himself and starting churches literally all over the world, hearing God's faithfulness to our denomination over the last 40 years, hearing the preaching of the word, our hearts, even as a team, and we were among 600 other people, were just exploding with joys of the rich truths, the gospel truths of what Christ has done for us. Oh, what a, a little taste, a little picture of heaven. And every week that we enter these gates into this sanctuary, our hearts unite in that same worship together. May we grow in being uninhibited in that worship. And I'm not talking about kind of standing out and, and, and trying to do something on our own, but that our hearts are affected and that our affections and worship would grow together. Now, no one stands out, but that our volume increases as we grasp with joy what he has done for us. C.J. Mahaney said of this, he said, C.J. Mahaney is our founding, the founder of our denomination, still pastoring the church in Louisville. He said, our worship of God involves our emotions, but our worship of God is not primarily rooted in our emotions. We worship not because we always feel like it, but because it's true regardless of our emotional state. And I wanted to point that out because I know if you're like me and you're human, so you are to some degree, there are times when I enter the, these gates, coming in uh, to the presence of the Lord with you, and my heart's just not feeling it. I'm weighed down by something that's going on in my own heart, my own life, my own sin. Or my heart is heavy with something that's going on with people that I love or know. Often many of you. Then our faithful music teams brings the call to worship. They begin leading us in songs that remind us once again of what a Redeemer has accomplished for us, that he would offer 
salvation to sinners like us. I could look behind the worship team at the cross here over our baptistry, and I'm reminded once again where our true joy lies. Joyful worship is a humble acknowledgement of the truth, of a God of what he has done for us that can stir us to worship even when we don't emotionally feel like it when we come in. Amen? Amen. Friend, there's one more thing in Psalm uh, verse 1 that I don't want us to miss here. And here in Psalm 1, the psalmist gives a general call to the lost when he says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. This invitation of praise is extended and even commanded to all, to everyone in the earth, sinners from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Revelation 21, uh, 27 tells us that the gates of heaven are shut to the unclean, that nothing unclean will ever enter them. And friends, if you're here today and you do not know Christ, that this, this joy does not make sense to you, you're not here by accident today. God has sovereignly designed that you're here today. And I want to appeal to you today that if your heart is being pricked, you want to know that joy, that today would be the day that you would cry out to him for mercy. The only thing that stands between God and you is your sin. That's all you have to bring to him. You don't have to show in any way that you're worthy because you're not. None of us are. The only thing that any of us ever bring to God is our sin. And in his mercy, he gives us redemption and forgiveness. So if you're here and have not repented of your sin, please don't leave here today by crying out for mercy. He always hears that cry. It's a work of the Spirit in your heart. Don't squinch it. Don't squelch it. I'd be glad to speak with you if you have questions about that. Seek that joy that can only come of knowing that your sins have been forgiven and atoned for by Christ. Verse 2 tells us that another response is to serve the Lord with gladness. And as one of your pastors, I, it's a joy to hear the ways that God uses you to serve your families, to uh, serve in your life group, to serve in your community, and even in your workplaces. God has gifted you. Uh, give it, gifted you with unique gifts that you use for his glory. But I'm especially thankful for those of you who serve us weekly here uh, that allow us to be able to worship uh, with un unhindered experience. You watch our children, our babies, and our infants. Uh, you teach them and care for them and the classes the children's classes, the teen classes, even the adult classes, where you serve us faithfully. Uh, the music team, you plan and practice with skill. You lead us and unite in our hearts in worship. Many of you serve as coffee greeters, or coffee servers, greeters, sound booth technicians, our deacons, our ushers, the security team. Why? Why do you do it? Well, it's certainly not for their pay as volunteers, but we know that you do it because you have joy in your heart and you understand what God has done for you, and you joyfully serve, and thank you for the way that you do serve that allow us to worship in an unhindered way. 
Verse 2 also tells us that we're to come into his presence with singing. The British Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner said this. He said, where God rules, where God is, there is singing. The psalmist said this in Psalm 147.1. He said, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. Like what Martin Luther said about music. He said, music is to be praised, is second only to the word of God, because by her all the emotions are swayed. We all remember what it was like in March of 2020 when very abruptly our worship services were shut down by the pandemic. We had to adjust to meeting digitally, digitally online and at least we were able to hear the word preached and uh, even be led in music, but we did what we had to do to, uh, to adjust under the circumstances, but it was very difficult not to meet together and unite our hearts in worship. But I'll never forget the first Sunday, a few weeks later at the end of May, when we gathered together in the parking lot. It was a warm spring day. You brought Many of you brought your chairs, lawn chairs, and set out in front of the worship team, on the grass. Some of you safely sat in your cars with your windows down. But what a blessing to be back together and unite our hearts in corporate worship. We were made to be together and together loudly proclaim his praise. Bob Coughlin from Sovereign Grace Ministries wrote this. He says, when we sing God's praise together, he is exalted more highly than if we do it alone. Worshiping God in song together affirms that his worthiness stretches far beyond what I can offer myself. Friends, may our affections be stirred as we gather together each week into his presence. We're reminded of his mercy to us. And reminded that only by his grace can we be called his children. And may that allow our hearts and our voices to respond in joyful worship singing. Verse 4 tells us that we're to enter his gates with thanksgiving. In his courts with praise, we're to give thanks to him to bless his name. Praise to God for who he is and for what he has done. You know, it's astounding that a holy God would invite sinners like us into his presence to worship him. Pastor Jake reminded us a few weeks ago of the privilege that we have, the confidence that we have to draw near to this throne of grace. And we can only, you know, appropriately think of that to ourselves as individuals, but it's also a promise to us as a body to enter by the work of Jesus, our great high priest, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's not forget the unlikely nature of this invitation from God to undeserving sinners like us to approach him. The reality is we will not understand the depth of his love for us if we don't remember the weight and magnitude of our sin that has been forgiven, will we? Let's never forget his undeserved mercy to sinners like us. It's all of his grace This truth should have a humbling effect on us, but it also should stir 
us in expressive love and affections for our Savior. I started out by asking each of us to think about what moves us to expressive joy. I want to end our time time this morning by giving us a reminder of what we have to look forward to. But before I read encouraging scripture, I was reminded a few years ago that Jan and I had the privilege to go to Africa with a couple of our missionaries, Brad and Barb Settle, to help them close up and relocate back to the States at the close of their ministry. God, uh, they they had faced much resistance uh, through those years, some painful things that they went through, but God in his kindness not only used that ministry to establish a Christian school of over 300 local students there in the bush of, uh, of Tanzania, but the Lord in his kindness started five local church, different tribes and in, in that region. And we were there for the last Sunday, a couple of days before we left, and all the churches decided to meet together at the first original church for a final worship service together. And we were at the church building. People were starting to trickle in. I asked Brad, I said, what time does the service start today? He said, well, the stated time is noon, but in Africa, start time is when everybody arrives. And eventually, everyone did arrive. And I'll tell you, my wife and I, Jan, have talked about this over the years. The volume and the joy of that worship service was absolutely chilling. People just uniting their hearts in proclaiming what God had done for them and the expressive joy in their worship, outward worship, was was a real blessing to us that day. And as I was looking around at the congregation, the different churches gathered together, I, I leaned over and I asked Brad, I said, how many how many tribes are represented here today? And he looked around and he leaned over to my ear. He said, I see at least five. And as I was thinking about that, the, the joy of these people who were worshiping together, united in worship, who not that many years before had been at enmity with one another. Many of them hated one another. But because of what God had done through Christ, their hearts were united in joyful worship that they were unhindered in expressing that to him. And what a blessing it was to be there, to be there that day. The Lord reminded me that day of a passage in Revelation 7 that I want uh, to read to us in closing here. Apostle John records this for us. He saw this. God allowed him Jesus allowed him to see it in the vision. He said, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. I look forward to that day, don't you? Kevin DeYoung wrote this about this passage. He said, Revelation 7 is a final fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham to multiply his offspring and make him a great nation. 
God's plan has always been for more than ethnic Israel, more than Europe, more than the West. His plan has been to make a people for himself from every nation and tribe. God loves to be praised in white churches, in African churches, in Russian churches, and by every other congregation that calls on the name of his son. How sweet it will be when all of our churches can sing together. Let us pursue now what, will, what we will enjoy in glory then. For what started with one man, called out of paganism, and joined to his barren wife, will one day come to culmination on the other side of the seven seals with a vast array of singing saints more numerous than the sand on the seashore. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's look forward to that day. Please join me.